each meaningless thought The shell appears strong, but the inside is right It's time to be stirred, the time is now The winds have changed, read the signs No time to hide, the winds have changed Millennia ago from the little cave on the tiny island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, the heavens opened. Since then, the world has been fascinated by the cosmic upheaval brewing on the horizon of history. The upheaval is now upon us. It is within us. To some degree, it always has been. But there has been a sudden and violent shift in the affairs of the world. The winds have changed. Heaven will not be silent. Let's now join Father Anthony Bush, pastor of St. Stanislaus Koska, the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy in Chicago, and author of A Mother's Plea, For the Winds Have Changed. Together we can pave the way for a hopeful response to the signs of our times. Hey, welcome everyone. God bless you for tuning in. This is Father Coys on a Brain Wrinkling Wednesday. And um, I do think I need to tackle a topic that does wrinkle our brains. There's um, this this topic. I'm, I'm quite sure is not good for young young listeners. So if you do listen to the winds of change, little ones around, um, I'd say uh, this topic isn't isn't for their ears. As it were. So, yeah, yeah. Well, so many of the adult topics. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger, no, Will Robinson. Danger, yeah, danger in um, robbing our little ones of that natural innocence that we want them to have. And as a matter of fact, that ties into why this topic is important to talk about. Because I want to, I want to talk about um, the transgender issue, which is so, so much around, so much in the news. It's a hard thing to um, approach, and I'm sure that you've heard a lot of discussion about it. There's the different rules that are being, the laws that are being contemplated in different legislative bodies, both local places and, and federal places, as, thank goodness, um, within the legislative bodies of the church, it hasn't been brought to my attention that any bishops are trying to push what uh, some of the legislative bodies are, but gosh, you never know who they're going to um, try to please next, as it were. But anyways, so in, in trying to think about how to address it, uh, how, how, how a good Catholic, uh, or just a good old Christian, um, should think about this issue, let me uh, let me break it into three categories and uh, apply some of our wisdom that we get from faith and reason, reason and faith, regarding many things of life, many many aspects of life and morality and and faithfulness and grace and sin and heaven and hell and all, all the rest, ain't right? Those three areas, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to share these three areas with you because they sound so philosophical. And I know that philosophical words scare people in a lot of ways. And I'm afraid if I, if I throw these at you, you're going to change the channel and say, oh, I remember philosophy class. I had a little bit and I didn't understand anything the teacher was saying. It seemed like a waste of time, etc." <laughs> Oh boy, nothing could be further from the truth, and maybe that that could be a a benefit of this controversy, the controversy over what transgenderism is all about, um, if it helps us recover some great philosophical principles and lessons, all the better. Okay, ready for the three words, the three categories, three different approaches. We'll, we'll, we'll wrestle with the issue of transgenderism is first is epistemology I, there's there's a ten dollar word for you epistemology um, it's a 
It's a philosophical word, yes, I know. It has to do with how we learn. How, how does the brain work? How do, how, do, how do we gain knowledge? You might even throw in the word today, how do you decipher misinformation from true information? We used to call it truth and falsity, or lies and honesty, but now it's, it's muddled even more, and it's, it's a logical contradiction of a moral relativist approach to life, is that you, you don't you know, declare someone saying something false. You, you accuse someone of spreading misinformation. That way you don't have to really prove that it's false, because if you accuse someone of saying something false and they prove that they're, what they're saying is true, you're, and then the person who proves what they said is true wins the day. And, of course, those who are accusing, shall we say, the more conservative Christian approach to many of the issues today, those are the, they're being accused by, shall we say, the progressive left as being spreaders of misinformation. Wow. Uh, it might... You just wrinkled my brain, man. The brain wrinkler. It might be a true statement, but you could still accuse someone of misinformation. And how about, let me think of an example. Um, we all check the traffic reports when we want to travel across the town, across the city. We don't like to get stuck into stuck in traffic jams and so we listen to traffic reports or we check our GPS and we see so so misinformation a true statement that can be can be thought of as misinformation uh, might be something like okay it usually takes you a half hour to get from point A to point B in this city and the traffic report person says uh it will take you an hour and a half today because because um, one one road is is under construction and they got blockades and a detour and you're gonna have to go all the way around so that's a true statement um, but let us assume there's two or three routes to get to point A to point B and uh, Route 1 and Route 2 are fine. Route 3 is the one that uh, is blocked by construction or something. So when the traffic reporter says, uh, it's going to take you an hour and a half to get from point A to point B, that indeed would be a true statement, assuming that you're taking Route 3. And uh, a person who wants to go around from point A to point B along Route 1 would say, oh, that's misinformation because I can get to point A to point B in 30 minutes if I go Route 1. <laughs> so anyways, the, the accusation of misinformation is, it, it, it sounds like it's the same thing of trying to determine what's true and what's false, but it avoids that mess and thrown in the hopper here today and it should be thrown into the hopper because the third category is soteriology soteriology that's kind of a fancy word we used for trying to understand salvation what what it is when we say we need to be saved when we need a savior what do we need saving from what is 
heaven going to be like? What is hell going to be like? Those who are saved, those who are not saved. All those kind of questions that affect every every religious person's thinking, or and especially those who reject religion. They have their own soteriology, as it were. So I, I want to I spend a little time with you today um, examining epistemology, teleology, and soteriology in the context of this transgender issue and, and why I see great danger in the way the transgender movement is, is, is um, progressing, as it were gaining greater and greater uh, strength, more, more uh, fans, shall we say, and the, those, those who are trying to oppose this movement are, are readily accused of being haters, those who are not for the benefit of, of people that, that are fighting or that are talking about or have already transed, as it were. And so, um, uh, the, and the reason the reason why I think it, this might be a good approach to this topic is because it reminds me of something I hear often said in regard to, um, uh, I say, school curriculum or, or, or problems in the school whether it is curriculum problems or tuition problems, uh, any any other kind of problems you face in schools, and that's part of the, the transgender movement stickiness is because there's a certain amount of leeway, a certain amount of, well, let adults do what they want, think what they want, um, but children are a different category altogether, and and so um, you 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 allow certain things for adults, but you because you because you have a question about them, and you don't want children just to follow those adults. You want to keep your children away from those kind of adults, as it were. So, um, but many times people will say, uh, if there is a question going on about their school and their school or what have you, they they will say, well, you know, I don't have any children in that school anymore. My children are all grown up. Therefore, I don't have a, a dog in that race or a pony in that race or whatever animal you put in your races. Um, it's... There's a sense that if my my small world is not affected by something wrong going on in the other part of the world, and I'm I could be isolated, insulated from the, the school community because I my, my children are no longer there, then we say it doesn't matter to me. Let let it go whichever way it wants to go. I, I will only be concerned with the way schools are going when I have my own children in a school. And it sounds like a, it's, it's a natural reaction, primarily because if your children are in that school, you're, you're realizing that part of you is in that school in the sense that we live and are lives are kind of extended to our children, of course. And therefore, if someone's trying to corrupt your child, you feel they're kind of, they're in a certain sense attacking you and corrupting yourself. You're trying to straighten, you want your child to believe and practice certain things. Um, okay, so those are the three, um, those are the three categories. Um, how about we take our first break, okay, Nick? Um, we'll get right in there, see if we I can uh, tackle a little, share a little of what epistemology, why why epistemology is being ruined, why teleology is being ruined, and soteriology is being ruined by the transgender, 
and and many other kind of issues as well. But um, let's let's uh, use the transgender issue um, in in this regard, in this philosophical sense. Okay. Um, so let's uh, let's take our first break. I'm Father Tom Coys. I'm guest host on the Winds of Change. You are listening to the new EWTN Catholic Radio Voice for Chicagoland, WSFI Catholic Radio 88.5 FM, and AM 750 WNDZ. Saint Stanislaus Koska Academy. Saint Stan's is an exceptional private elementary school in Chicago, serving preschool age three and four pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, and first grades. We incorporate Catholic values and rigorous academic social-emotional learning, Chinese, Spanish, STEM, and more, providing our students with leadership and life skills to transform our world. St. Stanislaus Koska Academy is conveniently located one block north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. To schedule your tour, visit Chicago.com. Stanschicago.org. I'm Father Tom Coys, and you are listening to the Winds of Change. Sometimes it's tough to hear winds of change over the air. What with tall buildings, power lines, and other static. Now you can hear winds of change anywhere, anytime, or on any device. When Winds of Change is on the air Monday through Friday, noon to one, go to ststandschurch.org. Scroll down to the Winds of Change tile and click on the Listen Live button or visit Winds of Change Facebook page to see the Listen Live link. Hey, welcome back, everyone. God bless you for tuning in. Uh, Father Tom Coyce here, Brain Wrinkling Wednesday, of course. So... I gotta explain a little bit of what epistemology is and why it's important. Because if we ruin a proper sense of how we know, that does affect everyone, whether or not you have a transgender child or not, whether your children are in a school that's promoting transgenderism or not. If transgenderism itself, for the few, is radically changing epistemology if if the way we if some of the fundamental ideas and principles that we need in a solid epistemology are broken then it leads to greater chaos and i think um, there's a there's a, of course a lot of a lot of people that have a feeling that they don't like transgenderism and they might just say it's weird or it's anti-God, or they might, um, uh, well, you, you just um, could just uh, do an ad hominem attack against those who are promoting it. You say they're, they're ridiculous. And, of course, that um, those people who you're attacking are going to say, I'm not ridiculous, you're the ridiculous one. So... It's better, I think, to say I'm against the transgender movement because it's ruining epistemology. I'm against the transgender movement because it's ruining epistemology. So, well, that that'll that'll make them scratch their head, right? What what do you mean by that? Because, well, do you know what epistemology is? No. Well, let me tell you, it's it's the science of the way we know things how do we know this and that it's very it's a very important part of philosophy and if uh if that's messed up uh, then society in general that has nothing to do with whether a boy wants to become a girl or a girl wants to become a boy um, if if that the acceptance of that ruins epistemology then then everything's going to be messed up how you how you make change when you go to a store or how you select uh, the right venue for an event uh, how you plan a trip how do you how how you build an airplane how you fix a car there's a gazillion things that you could say if epistemology is messed up then a lot of other things in life will be messed up because people will accuse the Christian, the good Catholic, 
of being a hater um, if you just say you're you oppose all this legislation that's going on that is um, uh, promoting or defending the, the transgender um, ac actions of, of, of doctors, of parents, of schools, etc. Wow. So, epistemology. You just wrinkled my brain, man. Yeah, that is brain wrinkling. <laughs> so, um, Epistemology, as I said, is, is sort of the science of how we know things. So let me, let me do this. Let me use as an example um, football. <laughs> we all like sports. Most of us do, that is. Say. And we all uh, kind of understand the basic rules of most of the basic American sports. Um, I'm going to put aside the controversy of whether football is soccer or American football, but just take uh, American football and, you know, the one we see on Sunday with the Bears and the Packers and the Chiefs and all the rest of those football teams, okay? So the reason it's, it's, it's probably a good thing to consider it in an analogous way uh, is because we all know that there's rules in football, um, and we know that we know that they're made up by a group of humans, but we accept them as certainly solid, hard rules when the game is going on. Um, but uh, the fact that we know they're made up by humans, we know we know they don't come from nature, as it were. You know, uh, you know study the stars or trees and rocks and the law of gravity and how a heart pumps in your in your in your body or what chemicals make up water and oxygen and iron and sulfur and all that good scientific stuff um, the foot the rules of football are, don't come from a study of nature like that they they were produced by humans to create a world of entertainment, a world which we would call games. And so to, to, to use football to understand epistemology a little bit is uh, you, you have to then assume that everything is football. The, the world is football. There's no world outside of football. It's just um, everything uh, is football. <laughs> You know, and, and well, and for some people that might seem like it's kind of true. For, for um, you know, if, if you're if you're a professional football player, you're well. Obviously, I'm exaggerating a little bit because even professional football players like to get married and have children and do other things when they retire. But okay, so, but for the sake of understanding what epistemology is, we we have to sustain our understanding of football as a as a it's a game created by humans, and let us assume that it is uh, found in nature, as it were. It's not made by us humans. Okay, I know that's not true, but for the, for the sake of understanding what epistemology is, that's what we're going to assume, okay? So let us say, the, the, the applying, trying to understand what epistemology is in the world of football, you say, okay, how do you know X, Y, or Z in this game of football, let's say? Okay, um, let's take the basic goal of a team is to score touchdowns, right? So you march down the field and you put the ball across the goal line and you get six points. That's a touchdown. So that's, that's appreciating the rules of football, but as an epistemologist, I'm going to say, well, how do you know that the that team got the ball across the goal line? And of course, you could say, well, I have eyes, don't I? I see. I, I, I watch the team, and I'm careful to watch the ball in the player's hand. And when I see the ball going over the end zone line, I know enough to be able to declare it a touchdown. 
Of course, what happens in a football game, in, in, which we've all seen, um, when those kind of things happen, wh when there's a controversy, what happens? Someone says, well, the ball may have crossed the line, but look where his knee is. His knee touched the ground before the ball crossed the end zone line. I'm hoping I'm getting all the football rules right. I think that's pretty accurate. If your knee goes down, touches the ground before the ball goes across the end zone line, then it's not a touchdown. So we have these things called replays, and the umpires or the referees have to talk together, and they say, what did you see? I... I I saw it this way, and the other guy says, well, I saw it this way. The other guy says, I didn't have a clear view at all, so I didn't see anything. I can't give my opinion on whether or not the ball went across the... Is it really a touchdown or not? Right? So what they're doing... <laughs> yeah, that's a, what they're doing is exercising a bit of epistemology. They're trying to say how... How do we know the facts? Um, and, of course, basically it's viewing with your eyes. You, you trust your eyes, okay? So what, what transgenderism is doing to the world of sexual morality is, is something like this. Assume that in the football game there is one blind umpire <laughs> and that umpire can't see no matter where he's standing but that umpire has an, uh, a heightened sense of hearing and so as the ball is going across the line the other judges who can see are there and they're still unable to determine by their sight um, whether it was a touchdown or not, they ask the blind judge, and the blind judge um, says, well, I, I determine whether a play is a touchdown or not by the sound of the crowd. If the crowd is screaming and cheering, then obviously it was a, it was a touchdown. Because just like that, yeah, see, there's the crowd, crowd cheering. And the, the judge, the ump would say, um, or the referee, I forget what, there's different words for those guys that are the judges in a game, right? There's referee, there are umps, there are umpires, there are um, field judges, et cetera, et cetera. But anyways, that's beside the point. My point is that if you had a blind judge and he says, well, we're in Chicago, and the Bears are playing the Packers. So if the crowd I hear screaming and cheering um, is is loud enough, then I'll declare it to be a touchdown because we're here in Chicago. And obviously, the fans will be cheering for a touchdown. They won't be cheering if the Packers stopped them at the one. They'll be booing or, or sad or something. And so the other referees say, oh, boy, since we can't determine by our eyesight whether it's a touchdown or not, we better go with the judgment of the blind judge, umpire, because certainly he's, he's, his sense of hearing is better than ours. And so that's, that's a different way of knowing whether it's a touchdown or not. Are you following me? <laughs> it's a different way of knowing. And of course, you could say, um, well, wait a minute. The crowd is obviously going to cheer. This always happens, right? If there's a close call that cheer, the crowd, the home team crowd will always try to influence the judgment of the referee by their cheers. So automatically, you can say the way the team of judges comes to the knowledge of whether it's a touchdown or not is very faulty if he's if it's going to be judged by the blind judge because certainly um, 
the home team will doesn't have a very good sight, a view of what it is. Um, and, or okay, let's make it even more complicated. Let's say the, the Bears and the Packers are playing in um, Detroit, <laughs> neutral, a neutral city, so the, the, the crowd sound is very ambiguous. You can't really even tell. So what I'm trying to get at is, is that um, the way you come to know something uh, is, is key. And the transgender um, movement is introducing a new form of epistemology based on what a lot of people will say they like or, or what a lot of people say they don't like. And that, that way of knowing is so very, very ambiguous. You need a different way of knowing when you're trying to determine something as crucial as is, is uh, mutilating a person's body so that they can now have a different gender identity. Um, is, that, uh, is that right or wrong? Um, so I'm, I'm against the, the ideology of transgenderism. Even if I knew somebody who was going through that difficulty, I don't want to solve their problem by destroying epistemology, which is needed for, the, for society and for life in general, you know, completely outside. Because if you're, if you're taking nature and saying that nature doesn't teach us or there isn't order in nature, um, you are going to have to seek uh, a different form of ordering. In other words, you, you don't study nature and you see that... Um, that uh, uh, Species come together in order to reproduce, need a male and a female. And so you say um, that uh, that staying one one sex, uh, or the way they say it today, the the sex I was assigned at birth is female. Now I am male. I've I've trans transitioned away from that natural designation um, and so you gotta you gotta come up with another way of knowing who what gender you are and so you're not going to relate to the physical body characteristics um, and, and, and furthermore to to recognize um, yes nature teaches yes there's order in nature but sometimes n nature itself is broken or, or fallen uh, but how to determine how to fix something broken in nature you you try to to make what is broken back to what is not broken in nature like for instance your eyes we all get many of us have glasses and many of our eyesight is weakened and so you, you, you say, oh, well, your eyes are natural and your eyes are having difficulty seeing, so go get some glasses. But, but you might be tempted to say that I'm saying because I respect nature so much <clears throat> that putting glasses on is immoral because you're supposed to stay with what is natural. You don't stay with what is natural if what is natural is found to be broken or not working properly. In other words, uh, if your eyes are not helping you see and you can, you can put glasses on to help you see better, you're not going against nature. You're, you're trying to um, fix nature for the way it, it should be functioning. 
Um, and so uh, this, this whole sense, this leads to the second philosophical category that I want to bring up to your attention is, is teleology. Um, so, but let me try to wrap up this to see if it's making any sense to you. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I, I fear transgender ideology not because I don't have a heart. Um, someone struggling with that, I would try to enter in and try to see what can be done to help that person recover a sense of who they are based on their their um, their gender assigned at birth, as they say. Um, try to examine, discuss with them their 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 past, their their family history, how they related to their mother, how they related to their father, what what uh, what was the examples of good men in their lives, good women in their lives, and recognizing and maybe even helping them to see that there were many broken examples, that their their father wasn't the greatest example of a father, their mother wasn't the greatest example of a mother, etc. All that kind of stuff could help uh, help a person know that their feelings of wanting to be another gender is uh, a result of other th things that are broken in their world as it were so um, so but going back to that that example of the um, how you how do you know something is uh, a, a touchdown in the world of football. If, again, if, if everything was football and the, the rules in football had to be followed and uh, someone then someone then said, I, I know how to judge what is a touchdown or not. You can even, you can even bring in some other <laughs> examples. How, how do you know how do you know a pass was completed or not? You know, one of the big controversies that often happens when there's a, a football pass, right, is uh, that we know that the person caught the football in the air with his hands, but then you have to look at the feet to see if the, his feet were in bounds or not, one toe here and one toe there, right? And uh, what if someone says, how do, how do you know, um, okay, you're... Let us say you're you're not going to look at their feet. That's how you. It's one. It's a form of epistemology. How are you going to know their their inbounds or not? Well, you look at their feet. What if um, what if someone just decided that looking at their feet, with their natural body is planted on the ground? You say, no. It's it's more in the feeling. Of, of uh, the team, the coach, the cheerleaders, uh, you, you you quickly take a survey, and you asked you ask, do you feel that the person truly caught the ball? And of course, that relying on a sense of feeling would would ruin the game, wouldn't it? <laughs> Every play would be. Um, would be a huge argument, um, and uh, the, you'd always cheer for yours, and you'd feel that the person was in bounds or not out of, out of bounds. Or how about, what if someone even radically said, well, I can judge whether a pass was completed or not um, because my sense of the rules, my sense of what is caught um, is different I accept the idea that if you catch the ball with one bounce, it's a complete catch. <laughs> the reason I bring up that example is uh, I sometimes watch the 1850s baseball out here in, uh, maybe you know or maybe you don't know, but there's a, there's a there's club baseball that plays baseball according to the 1850 rules, and I have a, it's fun. Um, it's fun to watch the guys. They dress up in the old uniforms. And that's one of the rules of 1850, as, as baseball was new, <laughs> as 
Doubleday was was writing the rules. You, you were the person was out if you caught it on one bounce. And so that of course changed. So anyways, but that how do you know that it was that, that the pass was completed or not? Say, well, you know because you're uh, you're assessing what you see by different rules. So transgenderism is 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 ruining epistemology. <laughs> Okay, now we got to go to teleology, but we also got to go to another break. Gosh, this hour is going too fast, as they always do. So um, let's move to that. I'm Father Tom Coyce, guest host on The Winds of Change, and you are listening to the new EWTN Catholic Radio Voice for Chicagoland. We are 88.5 FM WSFI and WNDZ AM 750. How long has it been since you have been to church? Busy schedule? Work? Or just lost interest? To be Catholic is not just merely attending Mass as just another weekend activity to be checked off the to-do list. Participation in the Sacred Liturgy gives you the opportunity to be intimately connected to Christ through the Holy Eucharist. You can also cleanse yourself of sin through the Sacrament of Reconciliation as a baptized Catholic. Come before the iconic monstrance to be in Christ's presence in the sacred silence of the Sanctuary of the Divine Mercy. St. Stanislaus Koska Church is open 24 hours a day seven days a week. St. Stan's is just off the Kennedy, two blocks north of Division on Noble. Come back to Christ through the sacred liturgy and his gift of the sacraments at St. Stan's. We are the students of St. Stan's La Fosca Academy, and you're listening to the Winds of Change. Here's some good news. We are pleased to announce that St. Stanislaus Koska is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in answer to our Blessed Mother's call to open the doors. The Blessed Sacrament will again be exposed all day, every day, except when Masses or other services are being held. You are invited to come and pray anytime, day or night. For your safety, we ask that you practice social distancing and wear a mask. Hand sanitizer is available and St. Stan's has increased cleaning and sanitizing of the church, and a security person will be on site. More information can be found at ststanschurch.org. That's ststanschurch.org. St. Stanislaus Koska is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. Hey, everyone. God bless you for staying with us here. I'm trying to... Uh give you a, a much a philosophical way of opposing transgenderism as opposed to just arguments ad hominem or even arguments from the Bible, from from faith. Though there are many of those and that's a darn good place to start if you if you, if if you ask me. But, but assuming that those arguments don't work, um, maybe we might be able to touch some people to realize that that what um, is being changed is not simply the person's gender, but a, a whole system of epistemology and teleology that, if lost, leads to great chaos in society in general. So um, moving to teleology, transgenderism really uh, uh, creates creates a new idea of teleology in the sense that it completely destroys the very idea of what teleology is. Teleology is an appreciation of nature that has that has purpose, that things are directed toward a certain end. Now, obviously, some things have very simple, um, very, shall we say, inconsequential ends or purposes, but other things in, in nature are very complicated, very important ends. And, of course, hu- human life, human beings, should be in the latter category. I say that in terms of, can you say, oh, what's the end, what's the purpose of a rock? <laughs> You're going to have a hard time. Well, wait a minute. What is the purpose of a rock? 
Um, you're not going to get into uh, uh, a discussion of whether uh, rocks should be um, uh, live in community or live solitary lives. <laughs> um, to to go back to the great philosophers like Aristotle, you would say the the end of a rock is to um, to fall with with gravity, <laughs> or to weigh something down, to to be an uh, immovable object, as it were, if it's a, if it's a big one, or uh, you know. So if you if you have a big rock, I was just seeing this, um, looking at uh, lakes and rivers. Man, I was fascinated by about a year ago or so there was a great breach in a spillway in California. Maybe you saw that. Uh, they had to evacuate a whole lot of people downstream. There was a big man-made lake, and the it's one of the, it's the largest um, dam, bigger than Hoover Dam in um, Arizona, uh, but it's in Northern California. And because the rain... The rain was just so heavy. The lake was filling up, and they were worried that the water would go up and over the dam. And even worse than going up and over the dam, the dam would break <laughs> from, from too much weight. So they have they designed those kind of things with some emergency back uh, plans. And one of them is called a um, spillway, and the other is a little bit lower edge of the dam, farther down the 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 coast of the the shore of the, the lake. And so they had problems with they They figured um, as the waters were getting higher and they didn't want the dam to break, they were going to open up the spillway. Well, they opened up the spillway, which is a huge, huge, a huge amount of water. But there were some cracks in the spillway and the water went into the cracks and wore away the ground underneath the where the concrete spillway was. And so the concrete spillway broke down completely, created a huge hole, and the water didn't go down the spillway, but went over to the side and created its own way down the hill, um, and was eroding quickly um, that, that that hill. So then they had to try plan B, which was to let the water go up and over. They, they shut down the spillway and let the water go up and over the um, front. Anyways, it's very interesting engineering uh, nightmare, of course how to fix things like that that we make. But um, I, I bring this up because I brought up the issue of um, the purpose of a rock. <laughs> you might not think that um, you have to um, be very uh, uh, precise about the purpose of a rock, but there are different kinds of rocks. And if a granite rock is more suitable for a wall than a sandstone rock, Right? You wouldn't you wouldn't build a you wouldn't build a um, dam out of sandstone. Why? Because it's so much more porous and it'll wear away so much faster. Anyways, so the um, even rocks have a teleology. That's what I'm getting to. But all things have teleology, and especially our human bodies have teleology. Our our life as as a human person has a teleology. That, of course, can and should lead us to think of that third category. I'm talking about soteriology, about what our end is in terms of the fullness of our being. Um, and you, you have to allow religion to say that your the fullness of your being would be some kind of salvation, some kind of existence in heaven. Okay, but let's let's come back to that's soteriology and, and transgenderism certainly messes with our understanding of soteriology but staying with teleology so let's do let's let's consider our body parts and do our body parts have a teleology is is it right to assign a purpose or an end to our body parts let us say our liver we all have a liver, right? And doctors will study our livers and see that it's working properly. When it's not working properly, they, that's sort of like discovering a defect in the nature of the liver, and they want to uh, 
fix that defect, to make the liver... Uh, what is the definition of fixing the liver? It's to do something to it to make it work the way it's a, it was designed to work in nature, right? Um, any, any part of your body, you could say that. A thyroid gland, your eyes, your nose... Your, your brain, obviously, these things get so diff so um, detailed, and you, obviously, you could spend your life studying all these things and uh, seeing how they work and how to fix them when they don't work. That's what we call medicine, right? Your heart. Okay, so where does this relate to transgenderism? Well, obviously, one of the parts of our body that this is dealing with are our genitals, right? Genitals are what give us our gender. And um, so if the transgender movement uh, is good for society, if, if, we, if, we're going to, if we're going to defend it, if we're going to do it so many, especially those following the, um, the Biden lead, shall we say, then the, um, those who are, he's, he's constantly, um, they, they, they just did some kind of award or a certain kind of um, a uh, scholarship program for transgender. The, that uh, the um, the woman that's the uh, press secretary with the curly hair. That she's. She, I don't think that she calls herself transgender, but she's proud about being a lesbian. And she uh, she was saying, "We got those transgender. We got their back. Whatever." Wherever they're going to be attacked, whenever they're going to be um, uh, uh, infringed upon, that their their freedom is going to be uh, curtailed, we're going to defend them. What she's doing, or what they are all doing, is destroying teleology in nature, because you have to you have to see the teleology of our genitals as as um, not rooted in nature, but the end or the purpose of teleology is assigned by our will. The will power has the power to take something in nature and declare that its natural purpose, natural teleology, is, is harmful, is wrong, and I need to fix it, as it were, right? Um, and and therein, um, if that sense of teleology is accepted in this area of life, it will, because it's a philosophical idea, and most people aren't, shall we say, philosophically oriented, they, but we all abide by, or we all follow different kinds of, philosophical ideas, whether we know it or not, that uh, destruction of teleology through the approbation of transgenderism will affect many, many other things in life. That's why, that's why I said at the beginning, it would even affect the way you give change at the supermarket counter. You say, uh, well, of course you have... Uh, two dozen eggs, a gallon of milk, and a Snickers bar. It's kind of how I shop, you know, unfortunately. Sorry to say. <laughs> um, and uh, that comes to $56. And um, you're giving me uh, $60, and I, I tell you that well, the nature of your 320s that make $60 I, it isn't, isn't wedded to the purpose and the nature, the teleology of a $20 bill, I, I, can, I can determine that the $20 bill is, um, is uh, worth only $5. Or you get, get my point. And I know you, you could, you, if you got into an argument over whether or not you, um, your $20 bills really equal $60, um, but you go to the bank or you go to the service department and the per person who knows money better than the 
the kid who's working at the cashier store will say, nope, sorry, this customer is right. His three $20 bills do equal $60. Um, what's the other kind of argument that we usually have in those situations is, no, I gave you three $20, and then the person who took it says, no, you didn't. You only gave me two. Say, no, I know I gave you three, et cetera, right? Okay. Let's see, um, Nick, we're almost out of time here. Do you want to get the third uh, break? And even though we're almost at the end of the hour, and I didn't get to my soteriology, but we, there's always tomorrow, right? Let's see, let's take that um, third break, and I'll try to wrap up a little bit and get us ready for the our next um, philosophical um, uh, meanderings, as it were, that brings great wisdom to life, right? Anyways, you're listening to Father Tom Coy's I'm a guest host on The Winds of Change, and you're listening to the new EWTN Catholic Radio Voice for Chicagoland. We are 88.5 FM WSFI, WNDZ, 7.50 AM. Here's some good news. We are pleased to announce that St. Stanislaus Koska is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, in answer to our Blessed Mother's call to open the doors. The Blessed Sacrament will again be exposed all day, every day, except when Masses or other services are being held. You are invited to come and pray anytime, day or night. For your safety, we ask that you practice social distancing and wear a mask. Hand sanitizer is available, and St. Stan's has increased cleaning and sanitizing of the church. And a security person will be on site. More information can be found at ststandschurch.org. That's ststandschurch.org. St. Stanislaus Koska is located two blocks north of Division on Noble, just off the Kennedy Expressway. I'm Father Tom Coyes, and you are listening to The Winds of Change. Have you ever heard of a Byzantine Catholic? Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Catholic Moment. Pope John Paul II said that the Church must breathe with both its lungs, East and West. The Catholic Church is composed of various rites and jurisdictions within these rites. The Byzantine Rite is one of the rites from the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. The Latin Rite is a rite of the Western Lung of the Catholic Church. Over time, tensions arose between the two lungs of the Church and they finally split from each other in 1054 AD. The Western Lung became known as the Roman Catholic Church or Latin Rite and it was centered in Rome. The Eastern Lung became known as the Eastern Orthodox Churches, and they had four centers, Alexandria, Constantinople, Antioch, and Jerusalem. Beginning in the 15th century, parts of the Eastern Orthodox Churches and the Latin Rite began reuniting again, thus creating what we know today as the Eastern Catholic Churches. To find out more about the Eastern Lung of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Hey, well, thanks for listening. God bless you. We'll, we'll, we'll return to that. I've got to get to the soteriology aspect. But you've been listening to Father Coy's. This is, this, is, this is EWTN, Catholic Radio Voice for Chicagoland. We are 88.5 FM WSFI and 750 AM WNDC. Become so obscure, it does not take that long. Can you see? 